Welcome to the Center for Grassland Studies podcast series. I'm your host, Margo McKendry, Program Coordinator for the Center. In today's episode, I'll be speaking with Dr. Dave Wadeen, Professor in the School of Natural Resources at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Welcome, Dr. Wadeen. Thank you. Now, we hear a lot about climate change and global warming in the news. Is Nebraska really getting warmer? Margo, Nebraska is getting warmer, but there's a twist to this. I like to say Nebraska is getting warmer, but it's not getting hotter. And that confuses people, but it means we need to look a little more carefully at the data, both the results of the last couple of decades and some of the model predictions. By saying that Nebraska and Nebraska's grasslands are not getting hotter, what I mean is the trend over the last 30 years, we don't have more 100 degree days in July and August than we had. We had more 100 degree days in the 1930s, 1950s. So if you're thinking global climate means it's going to be much hotter in the middle of summer, so far that hasn't panned out. Where the data show the climate is changing is springtime's coming earlier. Spring now is a couple weeks earlier on average than it was 30, 40 years ago. Nighttime temperatures on average are higher, probably because there's more humidity in the air on average. So the daily lows are increasing more than the daily highs, even in the summer. Winter's getting warmer, although there's some quirks in the data. I think February has been colder for the last 30 years than average. But on average, spring's coming earlier, winters are warmer, nights are warmer, and that is going to affect how grasslands respond. Okay. Thank you. But what about drier? Is Nebraska getting drier? Lots of forecasts, lots of gloomy pictures of drought and dryness. And again, you got to look at the data more carefully. You have to look at the seasons and we have to think about eastern versus western Nebraska, different grassland regions, because, you know, we have a huge moisture gradient from the tall grass prairie in the east to the short grass prairie in the west. Data for the last 30 years, even with the drought of 2012, eastern Nebraska is getting wetter. We're getting more annual precipitation. That's consistent with higher rates of precipitation in Iowa. Colorado's getting drier, and we're kind of in between. I'd have to look more carefully. I'm not sure the data is clear for Nebraska, you know, if we're getting more or less precipitation, and it's going to vary from east to west. But again, there's a big caveat to that, and that is that our weather is getting more extreme. The variability is increasing. So the rainfall events, this is clearly seen in Iowa, are getting larger. They're getting more more 100-year rainfall events per decade than than they used to, if that makes any sense. It's just getting bigger rainfall events. That's messing with agriculture. But northern Iowa this summer had drought conditions more drought than they've had in years. So we're getting increased unpredictability, increased variability. And maybe the final caveat is even as I say, the Eastern Sand Hills, Eastern Nebraska, we're getting more precip on average, is that as we get increased warming on an annual basis, maybe not more 100 degree days, but we're getting warming across the year earlier in the spring, we may be increasing the the evapotranspiration demand for water that the plants have. So we could even get, we can imagine weather patterns where we're getting increased precipitation, but it's it's not increasing the amount of usable water for the plants. You could still see less forage production, say in the sandhills with higher rainfall. Just depends on how it plays out. Okay. Now, my next two questions deal with greenhouse gases. First of all, 
how can Nebraska's grasslands be part of the solution to reducing greenhouse gases? I think the biggest thing is going to be soil organic matter. Most of the carbon or the soil organic matter stored in a grassland is below ground. The biggest chunk of that is in the soil organic matter or humus, the stuff that makes soil black. If you take soil, put it in the oven, cook it, it's not black anymore because you've burned off all the organic material and humus. And then the second biggest pool of organic matter in, in grasslands is the root mass. Most native prairie grasses are going to allocate 60 to 70% of all their photosynthesis to roots compared to above ground. Grasslands just pump carbon below ground in large quantities. So intact tall grass prairie, we may have about 5% soil organic matter, that rich black soil that Midwestern agriculture is built on. We're going to lose between 50 and 30% of that after 50, 60 years of row crop agriculture. So you say we, we lose soil organic matter when we plow and utilize those prairies. There was so much organic matter in the bank, though, that there's still good soils after half century of agriculture. But when you plow up tall grass prairie soil, we lose organic matter. And it turns out to be a lot of organic matter when you think about the number of acres involved. Sticking with this theme of soil organic matter and tall grass prairies, it's kind of cruel. You know, people say, well, we need to plant trees to store soil carbon. Well, if you cut down a big tree and you replace it with a little tree, guess what? You got to wait a long time. If we're facing critical issues in the next 20 years, planting a tree seedling is not going to store a lot of carbon in the next two decades. You would have been better to not cut the tree down. If your purpose was a short-term view, two decades, we got to store some carbon. Same thing for grasslands. You can plant a grassland. You know, CRP plants grasslands in agricultural fields, but it's just unfair. The rate at which you lose soil organic matter when you plow an intact grassland is a lot faster than the rate at which you build it back up. So just like planting a grassland now, we're going to wait decades to see good return on our carbon. Just like planting a seedling now, we're going to have to wait decades to get a big tree. So it really makes a lot of sense if it's in grassland, either native unplowed grassland or just old grassland. It really makes sense to leave it there to store carbon. So I'll just make a final comment is that there's a lot of factors, rainfall, topography, the age of the soil. Now we're talking thousands of years that determine soil organic matter. Then I was just looking at numbers. Your typical nice tall grass prairie soil, like we have down at Dalby Prairie, about 5% soil organic matter in the top 10 inches, 12 inches. In the sand hills, rather than 5% organic matter, you'd be looking at about 0.75% organic matter. So even what you'd think of as a healthy grassland in the sand hills is what, less than a 20th or maybe one fifth of the amount of organic matter of a tall grass prairie soil. So it'd be easy to say, well, then sandhill soils don't hold much soil organic matter. They can't be that important. Well, the sandhills are huge. <laughs> Again, do the math. You know, even though you don't have as much carbon there per acre, there's, you know, a lot of acres of healthy grassland in the sandhills. It's still a huge amount of soil carbon. You know, we got to look at the details, do some little simple math calculations back at the envelope and start to think about, you know, where's carbon and uh, how reliable it is it and how do we want to plan on that? So the second part of that question then is how are Nebraska's grasslands part of the problem for increased greenhouse gases? The grassland itself 
I think is a win-win situation, right? There's lots of benefits stabilizing against wind erosion and wildlife habitat and healthy soils. And certainly grasslands produce wonderful forage for livestock or for wildlife. The big problem looming for grasslands and rangelands uh, in greenhouse gases is methane. And methane emission is an inevitable consequence of the digestion of ruminant animals, like cattle, like bison, like elk, like deer. Horses do not, are not ruminants. Uh, pigs are not ruminants. Chickens are not ruminants. So you might think that you're doing uh, the environment a favor by eating a grass-fed organic steak compared to a industrial chicken that was fed cornmeal or soybean meal in a big shed somewhere. But unfortunately, for methane, the beef animal, just because it's a ruminant, it's going to produce that methane. And methane is a potent greenhouse gas. It can be calculated different ways, but it's, during, depending on the calculation, 20 to 30 times more active than carbon dioxide. So a gram of methane is going to absorb 20 times as much greenhouse gases as a gram of CO2. And so a lot of effort you know, what are the benefits and the trade-offs? I, I was just checking the numbers before we chatted from the brand new Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report that came out a couple of weeks ago. And the best, the state of the science on methane and about a third of the global emissions, human-associated emissions of methane, about a third are associated with livestock that you know so there's a lot of effort research being put how do we how do we minimize that what can we do other than just eat less beef or drink less dairy products or eat less cheese you know how do we how do we feed our animals how do we tweak that basic biology to get less methane for those protein products that we desire that's going to be a struggle and i think nebraska has a lot to do to uh put a positive spin while acknowledging the methane issue in showing how we're making progress. You know, it often comes down to just trade-off between the carbon you've stored or are storing in soil organic matter versus the methane and it's coming out with the burps from the ruminant cattle that are using the grass that's protecting the soil organic matter. And that's just a complex equation, you know, and we're going to be struggling with that over the next couple of decades. It sounds thing, like it. Yes. The thing that I'll give one more comment about methane is we're going to hear a lot about methane because methane is such a good heat absorber. It's such an effective greenhouse gas. The amount of time methane lasts in the atmosphere is shorter than carbon dioxide. So if we make gains and reduce methane emissions, that's a sh that, that helps a lot in the next 20 years. On the other hand, if we increase methane emissions, that hurts a lot in the next 20 years. That's when re this methane, beef, grazing, animals, agriculture, it's going to be increasing in the news. So as you're looking out over the next 20 years, what do you see as the greatest threat to Nebraska's grasslands? I'll be a little facetious, but I'll say trees. Trees and plows. Right? Okay, okay. Leave it the grassland in Nebraska as grassland. We can work with that. We can try to optimize that nasty equation, trying to balance soil organic matter versus methane emissions and utilize those grasslands. Not to mention we get a lot of benefits from grasslands in a grassland state. 
the pressure to plow up grasslands, maybe not native grasslands, maybe old CRP fields and other grasslands, you know, the argument, well, we just plow up more of our grasslands and we'll grow more food and feed the world, which we need to do. Uh, there's some, some trade-offs there. You need to be careful. And then I mentioned trees, you know, whether it's eastern red cedar trees or other, you know, honey locusts and Russian olives, Siberian elms, and you see just woody species out on the landscape. They compromise many of the benefits we get from grassland. And so, you know, I just ask land managers, be intentional with your management. You know, just like, what do you want from this piece of land? Do you really want this pasture to become a scruffy stand of honey locusts or red cedars? If so, manage for that. But I think if you look more carefully, you realize the value to you as the landowner and the value to society both go down if we lose our grasslands through just plain lack of management. So are you optimistic about the future of Nebraska's grasslands? And if so, why? I am. I think it's neat. I think Nebraska, you know, there's always, especially in our current society, danger of kind of culture war issues popping up and polarizing into left wing and right wing and all that. But we do have a really diverse group of both urban and rural people, both conservationists and ranchers and producers that have a deep appreciation for grasslands. And that's what we teach in our classes here at UNL, like our, the grassland systems major. Some of the tools you need in your toolbox to sustainably manage a grassland, whether it's a national park or whether it's a private ranch, same kind of tools. You know, well, how, do we, how do we control these woody species coming in? How do we control invasive species, noxious weeds that might be coming in? How do we get the best type of seeds available if we need to replant these grasslands? How do we design these seed mixes? It's, it's a lot of the same tools. And, you know, even the grazing conference that the Center for Grassland Studies has, I wasn't able to join the last one, but I bet there was a diversity of people. I bet there were some state agency people that worry about conservation. And I bet there were some ranchers that are worried about the bottom line for beef production. And they appreciate grasslands. And I think we're used to that in Nebraska. A lot of the country doesn't work that way. You know, it really doesn't. Got the environmentalists versus the ranchers and, you know, the preservationists versus the people that say we got to farm everything. And I think there's a lot of room in the middle for Nebraska to have creative solutions to those problems. Now, is there anything else you'd like to add on this topic before we get ready to close out? Not really. I'm looking forward to the, the talks this fall and the discussions. I'm, you know, giving an early talk and I'm just trying to set the stage. I'm just trying to ask some interesting questions like soil organic matter versus methane and how, sh what should we do with a grassland? I have no idea what the answer is, but hopefully we'll get people thinking about that. Now, again, thank you so much for taking time to sit and chat with me. I do appreciate it. And I will mention that Dr. Wadeen is making an August 30th presentation entitled Nebraska's Grasslands and Global Change, Key Questions for the Next Decade, as part of the Center's Fall Seminar Series. To learn more about the series or how you may participate, go to grassland.unl.edu. Thank you for listening.